guys, welcome back to Teen Talks. If you don't already know, Teen Talks is a teen-centered show where we indulge in conversations from teens all across the world. And I'm so happy to have all these amazing guests here introduce themselves. So I'll go first. You guys already know my name is Sonbi. I use she, her pronouns, and I will be the host for this episode. Are you guys ready? Episode six, stereotypes. Now let's get into our lovely guests that we have here today. So just say yourself, your pronouns, and anything comfortable you are comfortable saying. My name is Alexandra Fan. I'm a sophomore, and I'm so glad to be here. Um, my name is Julia Vu. I use uh, she, her pronouns, and um, I'm currently a junior, and I'm really excited. I'm Alex, and I am a junior. I use any pronoun, and um, yeah, I'm also excited to be here. I'm so excited to have all you guys here. You guys, I cannot wait. So, Obviously, stereotypes, I feel like, is a conversation that could go on for centuries, and there's just so many places to start with. So I'm going to ask a question just to get us started, but please feel comfortable to just hop in and say whatever and take the conversation anywhere, because that's what this, uh, the purpose of this is. So what is one thing you wish that, you know, society as a whole, and this is a huge question, um, what is one thing you feel that society would listen to regarding a stereotype or would actually listen to you when it comes to addressing a stereotype. And honestly, it can be about anything. It can be about race, ethnicity, gender identity, sexuality. Honestly, it's just, again, stereotypes is a huge thing. Okay, I'll start. Um, so basically, it's like every single race or minority has their own set of difficulties in regards to racism and stereotypes. And it has been continuously enforced throughout the years. And one of the most important things about it is that the way society has functioned as of right now, it's more about how we're pitting different minorities against each other rather than banding together to work. And so rather than seeing it as something where we can work together to improve society and improve how we're expected to behave. So that way we don't have expectations on how we need to behave based on our gender or our race or minority or however we perceive ourselves and we are being perceived. And so it's less about, we need to dismantle the system and more about, I as like an Asian person am better than someone who is Hispanic or black. And that shouldn't be the case whatsoever, but it has been continuously enforced, especially with how many laws we had, especially very recently, like the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was way back when, but also really early and also the Jim Crow laws and those sort of things having pressed and pushed against us working together as a community to stop it. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything that you just said. And I also think that it's really interesting that you bring up how um, the system is turning minorities against each other and they're kind of, essentially they're making it so that we're doing the dirty work for them. Um, I think that in a Youth Speaks uh, workshop a few months ago, um, someone said that uh, they're trying to make diverse suppressors. And I think that is something that um, we don't really talk about enough in that 
um, how the system pits minorities against each other. And not only that, they continue, the system continues to divide minorities into even smaller groups. Like for example, um, in the LGBTQ plus community, we see things like, oh, um, the different types of gays and the different types of lesbians. And if you don't fit into like that specific category, like you're not part of the community. And so I think, I think it's really frustrating that not only is this whole like system of stereotypes and like cliches, not only are they kind of pitting minorities against each other, but they're also dividing them and preventing them from coming together as a whole to address these stereotypes and address these issues. Yeah, I definitely agree with like the um like the thing with that both of you guys said, like how like minorities are like put against each other. Like definitely like with the LGBT community, um, there is like, if you don't fit in, like you're kind of like casted out. Like if like if you have like something that's like not the same as like something that fits in the category, like if you like look like you fit in a certain category and you act like you don't fit in that category, then you're just considered like weirder. And you're just like not like, I don't know how to explain it, but like, yeah. Yeah, just like not valid. Like, um, and here's the thing: the the problem with stereotypes is that their stereotypes are an ideal. It's not. It's not even a. It's not even an ideal. It's more of a fantasy than anything else, because mm -hmm. no one fits in these stereotypes. Like, what's the point in creating them if it literally like applies to absolutely no one? Like no one perfectly fits into these stereotypes and so it's really stupid that we have a society that constantly upholds like these ideas as being i guess like ideal for that community if that makes any sense yeah right so i definitely agree with everything you guys have said and i feel like a lot of these um stereotypes are very deep rooted in history and they've just kind of been engraved in a lot of our brains and whether we like it or not sometimes we tend to like, quote, agree with the stereotypes or not necessarily agree but we also believe in them and that's sometimes just unintentional because of how we've you know grown up so what are things in our past that have been stereotyped and misconceptions that have you know been in our past that you feel affect people's views in today's time whether those stereotypes are still there or not how do you feel they've impacted our, our views today? It sort of goes into things that where those perceptions, especially just thinking about the effects of that, go into different things, especially in San Jose, where we have um, different like sectors and those are redlining. And so we have those redlining districts where it's like you have downtown San Jose and that's predominantly Asian and minority groups versus Willow Glen, where we do have some minorities. But for example, when I went to my elementary school, I think there was maybe five, 10 Asian kids, and five of those were Vietnamese kids, and I was one of them. My sister was one of them. The other kid transferred out, and I had this other girl, and she was also Vietnamese, but at the same time, we weren't necessarily friends because we shared interests, but we were friends because everyone would put us in a group together because we were both Asian, and so those perceptions that we were automatically smart, so we had to be put together, or we're automatically super great at math. So obviously I could tutor somebody in math, but the thing is I'm not good at math whatsoever, but that expect expectation that I'm going to do really great at school 
or that expectation that I'm automatically a straight A student, I have a 4.0 GPA, aren't necessarily accurate versus that of like a different ethnicity or a different group where it's like black people or Hispanic people, they are affected in the sense that they have the stereotype of being like a gang member. And that stereotype causes them to have some sort of expectation that they're gonna drop out of high school or they're gonna have the super low GPA or they only got through and into a good college because of like affirmative action when that isn't necessarily true whatsoever. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And um, for me personally, um, for, here's, because here's the thing, I feel like a lot of the times um, these stereotypes are so ingrained that we don't even like notice it at first, if that makes any sense. Um, for example, when um, in throughout all of elementary school, um, I think there were two um, people who weren't white in my entire school, which I think is saying a lot. Um, and it was me and this other kid who was Filipino. And, um, and I have very, very vivid memories of, um, of people like calling, of people calling us both like Chinese and that assumption that all Asians are Chinese. And also like just stereotypes about um, just like, oh, well, you guys are related, right? And the, them not even making an effort to differentiate me and this kid, his name was John, and everyone just, um, and there was just this whole thing of um, immediately grouping, like kind of like what um, Alexandra said about immediately grouping um, us together for nothing other than like our ethnicity and just all these like, all these misconceptions and um, just in general stereotypes that come from primarily, um, I guess primarily just ignorance of not understanding, of coming from a place of not understanding and um, just like not understanding that like the reason why I don't enjoy eating school lunches and things like that. Yeah, there's like, um, for like, me personally uh in my middle school i think there was like a total of like five like five kids that were like asian one of them being me and i'm indian so that's also part of asia and not like this like typical stereotype like uh, i tell people like oh yeah i'm also asian they're like no you're not and i'm like i i'm indian and india's part of asia and they're just confused about that and then like I think I was the only person like the only Indian person from like elementary middle school I think there's like one other person in um high school that's Indian and like there's just so like little of us but like in high school like the second that like I got to high school like I instantly like got grouped with like the other Indian kids because solely for the fact that I am Indian and they're like oh yeah you're just gonna become like an engineer aren't you or like a doctor and I'm like no <laughs> yeah and it and I guess this is another thing but um this actually didn't happen to me it happened to my cousin um and he worked his ass off like but um he 
worked super duper hard. Um, he, quite frankly, had a really hard life growing up, um, not only because of like socioeconomic reasons, but also because of um, like family problems. He's like an orphan. And so, um, and so he worked super duper hard. And I, for one, can, can attest to that. And, um, and later when like, and when it came to um, like acceptance from university, um, he got into a really, really good college. And, um, and literally all of the responses to his like social media posts about, oh, I got into my dream college was like, oh, um, well, of, like, of course he did, you're Asian. And I hate that they attest his accomplishment to his ethnicity rather than his the effort that he put into it, if that makes any sense. And just all of these things that, oh, and um, there was, I don't remember, I don't remember the actual person, but there was another student from his um, from his school, and she happened to be black, and she also got into a really really good university, and all of the comments to her post were along the lines of, oh, like, oh, it's because you're a minority group, oh, affirmative action, and it's taking away, it's taking away the effort that they put into um, their accomplishments and attesting to, oh, well, it's just because like, it's just because of your ethnicity and just kind of like snatching up the merit for the work that they put in. And I think that's a really big issue in today's society. Yeah, like that's the same thing happened with my cousin. He like got into like the college that like he really wanted because he like worked like so hard to get there. And like all the comments were just like, oh yeah, it's because you're a minority, like that's it. And because you're Asian, like you're smart, of course you got into it. And I'm like, some people work themselves to the bone just to try to get to what they want. It also has effects, and Angela Davis talks about this a lot, on glass ceiling feminism. And it's breaking that glass ceiling, and that's a phrase that we reference a lot, where it's like, oh my god, we broke the glass ceiling. But at the same time, that's not where we should necessarily end it. And it's things like having Kamala Harris as vice president, where that is incredibly important, because... Yes, she is a woman and she's also a person of color. And that's incredibly amazing to have. But at the same time, we cannot stop there. And when Angela Davis, and this feels like hundreds of years ago, but it was actually incredibly recent, especially with these laws being outlawed in less than a century ago. But it's when she would show up to protest and she would come and it's like, they were expecting a male to come. And even though it's feminism, which is about equality, they were expecting a man to show up, whether it be a white man or a person of color, still a man. And when they see Angela Davis coming up to the forefront or they see all these different minority leaders, that's not what they're expecting. And so it's, we need to push back those boundaries as well of having not just the expectation that we are hard workers and minorities are super hardworking, but they are not expected or considered accurate leaders. And so, yes, we have this glass wall feminism, but if we just limit ourselves to that, then it's not productive whatsoever because we are still going to continue to enforce a system that is corrupt and isn't necessarily working to benefit all the different social classes and the economic classes. It's only focused on enforcing that system, like I said before, 
that allows us to be oppressed and not necessarily have the equality and the freedom with no judgment to act the way we want to. Yeah, definitely. And I like that you bring up um, the whole intersection with, I guess, uh, the feminism movement and how um, something that I kind of thought of was, um, I read an article a few, I think a few months ago about like white feminism, about um, feminism that pertains only to white women and how despite being despite being a movement to improve the rights of women, it's still very like racially influenced and it's still, um, I guess, limited to a very specific ethnicity and how we can't call things like that true feminism. And I think it's just another example of even, even like systems of, I guess, even systems that are advocating for um, advocating for equality and like better rights for women how even within those movements there are so many other dividing sectors that are pulling us apart yeah i like i also like read an article article about like um like separation of like feminism like even though it's like supposed to like raise up like like it's supposed to be like stand for like equality and everything um like there are like the difference between like women of color and then there's also like the difference between like white women is like there's like a huge difference and then there's also like a difference between like transgender women and like cis, like cis women and there's like they're just like treated so much more differently than like everyone else and then like the people of color who are like transgender they're also like they're treated even worse than like everyone else and like for example we don't like when we sorry when we talk about like here's the thing when we talk about like activists in all these different movements a lot of the times we don't mention we don't mention the people of color who were part of the movement like it just it just doesn't make sense to me like um since they're contributing just as much they're doing just as much work they're fighting for the same rights and even rights beyond that and how historically we don't talk about that and um like and i guess another thing is we learn about all these different political parties we learn about all these things but we never learn about things like the black panther party we never learn about the um the humanitarian work that they did we never learn about all of this community service that they did we never learned about the cause that they're fighting for because it really does go to show how much our education system values revisionist history, how we'll rather ignore the dirty parts of our history rather than look into it and actually come up with a solution for it. If you look into things like Claudette Colvin, it's really interesting because before she, or before Rosa Parks had sat down and refused to sit and move away on the bus, she was first and she was a teenager. And so it goes into the perception where even Black people were like, we need Rosa Parks to do this first. And it's because Claudette, she was younger and she wouldn't be treated respectfully or equally, but she is such a fundamental part of our history and she's not necessarily recognized whatsoever. And that's because Claudette was 15 and she was a child. And not only did she, was she a black person refusing to abide by the laws, 
she was also a minority. And she, because she was a minority and a young person, they knew that it wouldn't be nearly as impactful as Rosa Parks, who was seen as a respectful figure doing it. And so it's not just white people pitted against black people. It's much more nuanced where it's like, we have all these different factors that don't necessarily allow us to respect the fact that this person did it. This person did it first. It has to be seen and altered so that way it's like everyone feels comfortable, but that's not actually what happens. And because of that, it's like we're not getting an accurate view of what happens whatsoever. And that has things where it's like in the history books are written by winners. And so you don't necessarily get to see things like the U.S. forcefully working into different developing countries. And it's like when the U.S. goes off to like developing countries in the Middle East and they start interfering with their politics in those domestic affairs. And you see it in the U.S. military recruiting in low income families in low income areas that have been affected by redlining. And because they have been affected, they feel obligated to join the military because you get scholarships. And so that's why it's not about nationalism or pride within their country. It's about the fact that they are low income. And if they don't join the military and risk their lives, they may not be able to financially afford going to college, especially if they're in a larger family. But yeah, I think it's really interesting that you brought up Clara and and I think um, this kind of ties into it because I know that another reason why she wasn't as, I guess, widely talked about as Rosa Parks is because uh, she was a teen mom. And the whole stereotype about, oh, well, she's a teen mom, she's irresponsible. And all of these things that kind of, just so many different factors. And I hate that as a society, we need activists and we need, I guess, um, we need the people who we look up to to be these perfect human beings. And just because she's a teen mom, suddenly, and just because she's um, much younger than Rosa Parks, suddenly she's not as significant. And and we see this a lot in like, um, personally, I'm a true crime lover. And so we see this a lot in true crime too, where if someone doesn't have a perfectly clean history, where um, they're not like, from a super rich family and they're not um, from a super influential background or they're not, and they don't like excel in school and excel in everything that they do. How these cases often like go, go quiet and there's never, it's just not taken as seriously. It doesn't get as much, um, I guess, like airtime in the media. And it's just a really disheartening thing to think about. Yeah, I um, I don't have much to add <laughs> into this conversation because yeah, you guys basically hit everything. But yeah, I agree with like everything you said. It's it, it is really saddening that like if as long as like if you're not like the top person, then you're suddenly discarded. Like if you're like, I think that like, I I think I read something that like basically said like oh they didn't like choose her to be like the activist because um um she was a teen mom and they would have thought oh it's just playing it off as like teen rebellion that's the only reason that she was doing it and like it wasn't like respectful like how like um it wasn't like respectful like rosa parks but yeah that's that's all i have to add to the conversation 
I'm not sure if you guys have heard about it before, but there is the things where it's like implicit association tests or implicit bias. And those especially affect people of color, especially when you're working against someone who is in a position of power. And so you see those with people on death row where it's like we can testify and we can be like, I want X person to be taken off of death row. We shouldn't kill them, especially because it's like they aren't guilty and they aren't guilty of this verdict that you are putting upon them. But because the jury or because the jury, the jurors are in charge of deciding their fate, that causes issues where it's like they are put in a position where they're inherently going to lose. And no matter what happens, they aren't going to be judged accurately. And that then affects things where it's like police brutality or just being in a classroom setting itself where they're more inclined to believe one student over another because of stereotypes or because they have been behaving a specific way. But just because they behave or they are perceived that way doesn't mean it's fair or accurate. Yeah, definitely. And um, this is kind of related, but something that um, I read about a few weeks ago was um, it talked about adultification, which is a phenomenon where um, people of color, primarily black people, are immediately perceived to be like more experienced or more more of an adult, if that makes any sense. And um, that's a horrible thing when it comes to, I guess, just the world in general, because that also means they receive harsher, I guess, punishments and consequences because in other people's minds, like, oh, well, they, they should understand these consequences. And um, there's this whole study where a bunch of people were shown these two pictures of um, of a five-year-old white girl standing on the street and a five-year-old black girl standing on the same street, five years old, same age. And um, they were asked, what would you do if you saw this girl standing on the street? And, and the thing is that every single person who participated in the study um, said that they would call the, they would call the, um, they would either stay with the white girl and um, call authorities but when it came to the black girl, there was very, very mixed results in that there was, I think like half of the people said that, oh, she, she looks like she knows what she's doing. Like, and how, and how that shouldn't matter. She's five and how we immediately have, have this perception of, of like people of color being more mature and more, I guess, like, I don't even know. Yeah, like, there's, like, definitely, like, uh, even, like, during, in, like, school, like, um, there are, like, some teachers that, like, I've noticed that, like, they, like, immediately go to help, like, um, like, the white kids, and then, like, the people of color, they're just, like, oh, yeah, you got this, you're fine, you got this, and, but, like, they're, like, more thorough with, like, the white kids, and then, like, with the people of color, they're, like, they have like the more basic rules. Like, that's all I have. If you guys have, I'm not sure if it's like commonly referenced enough where it's like thrown around often, but you do have things where it's like the Madonna whore complex, where it's like, if you are in a committed loving relationship, you're no longer able to see women specifically in that partnership as a actual person. 
or not as an actual person, but in a sexual manner. And so you have the chaste, like good looking pure Madonna, or you see them in an inherently sexual manner. And so they're a whore. And so that goes into further effect when you're dealing with people of color, where it's like the fetishization of Asian people or the overzealous, overdramatic version and reenactment of black people where it's like, or Hispanic people where they're like going to pop out a ton of babies to get away from taxes. And so it's that immediate assumption that we are wrong and we are not deserving of being the Madonna in the situation, even though it's neither side is fair and neither is being treated the way they should be because it's like you start off as like the whore and you go into the Madonna section, but either way, you're not being treated like an actual human being. You're being seen and objectified rather than respected as you are and as you stand. Now, a lot of the times in movies, um, especially more so in the 2000s, um, there was a lot of times where there, there was only one person of color in a movie or one black person in a movie where it was just like, oh, you know, the friend, just like the POC friend or the black friend, just to show that, oh, we are inclusive as whole. And when in actuality, they, that was just it, that there wasn't anything else. And um, I definitely see that a lot in movies. And there's, I hardly ever see a POC or a black person in a movie that's the main lead, um, but rather they're just like the side character, the person who's just there to show that the movie is inclusive. Um, and that I think is also a huge, and, and within that movie, there's different stereotypes, of course. But what are other ways you guys think, you know, that there are different, so many, I'm, I mean, honestly, there's so many. So, yeah. Here's something that, because tokenism and the idea of having like a token this friend or a token that friend and how these things are used to use so that a movie can be labeled as, oh, this is um, a like racially diverse, like, or like, or like body positive movie and there's and when you but when you actually look at the character themselves they have um no personality beyond like their label if the, like for example um like we see this a lot in disney too which is disheartening to say the least but for example if there's a hispanic person their personality will be oh, well, I'm a Hispanic person. They have no personality beyond who they are. And I hate that that's, and I hate that these things, not only do they reinforce the stereotypes that we already have, they help to create new stereotypes. And it's just really frustrating. Yeah, I was gonna say the only thing that like I could think of like off the top of my head is like, the token like gay friend oh yeah they're always like the like the friend that like the gay guy friend that you can always like go shopping with nails done and all stuff like that but like some gay guys are not like that like they act like straight guys but like they they just like they don't act like how like the stereotypical like gay guys just like yas and all that they like like in books and like in movies like there's always like that one like token gay friend or like that one like one person that everyone just knows yep 
this one that's the that's the gay friend that's their only personality they don't have anything else like they're not like the oh yeah they're also like the one friend that also is like really smart or like really funny no they're just like that one thing there's no other personality on the other side you also have the issue where it's the over sensationalization of having these different minorities in your movies or your films and that can also be seen in things where it's like she-ra on netflix where it's like they wanted so badly to be inclusive that they actually caused a different issue in itself where they had all these different good guys be minorities and that's absolutely amazing however these characters weren't necessarily multifaceted and so you have all these like really hero personas but they weren't given very much development whatsoever and so then you have things where it's like yes they are a hero and they are really great and that's an amazing role model but the characters aren't very flushed out and then you have the villains on the other hand and all these different villains have these different motivations and goals and character arcs but none of those characters can be really perceived as black and within canon if you're not just looking at like the voice actors themselves it's not explicitly said that they are minorities and so the assumption could be made that the general basis for them is that they are white. And because of that, it's like you have all these really interesting, fascinating characters that are villains. And that it shows that anyone can be bad and anyone can have these different motivations and good people can do bad things. Bad people can do good things. Except now that you only have these people of color be just Mary Jane, a John Doe, um, Jane Doe, it causes this issue where it's like, now, yes, we have all these different characters, but we're not going to do anything with them. So they're basically a bunch of mannequins. Yeah. Like, there'll be, like, all, yeah, like how you said, like, there's, um, like, the over, like, there's, like, an overly use of, like, minorities, and then they're just basically, like, they have no personality, And, like, they don't get, like, they don't, like, use their, like, personality of being a minority either. Like, they're just there. Like, just puppets that, like, kind of further the plot of, like, the main character. But, like, other than that, they have, like, no real purpose of being there. And on that note, I think we can bring this amazing episode to an end. And before we do that... um, can I just say, you, you all should plug yourself in, um, add your ads, whatever you feel comfortable with. If you don't, totally fine. Just let us know. Julia, why don't you hop in and say, you know, the little, I don't know, organization you do that's totally awesome and definitely deserves a lot of representation. Okay, um, this is not prepared, but thank you so, so much. Um, well, in... Well, in 2020, um, a few friends of mine and I came together um, to start this organization called Operation Dopamine. And um, pretty much we're this international mental health advocacy organization um, that works to raise awareness for um, all sorts of different mental health issues. And um, we were founded mostly because uh, we started noticing and we saw like several articles about this massive mental health crisis that came in quarantine. and. Um, and so pretty much what we do is uh, we facilitate conversation, we help to inform, and we work with ambassadors in, I think, currently 
nine different countries, which is really exciting. And yeah, it'll be really nice if you could check us out. What's it's very that? cool. Very cool. Wait, what's that? <laughs> I'm going to follow you right oh, quick. Um, Operation Dopamine. And then, Julia, if you also want to hop in anything personal or not, that's totally up to you. Oh, and, um, okay, my, oh, I don't use my social medias, but my Instagram is uh, jvu underscore Anna Rose. And yeah. They will also be on the screen, so y'all can check it out there. Um, Alex, if you want to hop in and say if you're comfortable with. Um, sorrowful Lex, uh, sorrowful underscore Lex underscore seven for my Instagram. Although it's like the, all the O's are like zeros. It's, it's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay, no problem. Alexander. <laughs> okay, my Instagram is A Alexander fan. So that is just two A's in the front. So it's A A L E X A N D R A P H A N. It's pretty simple. It's just my name. Anyways, I hate to end this episode, but thank you all so much for joining us. I hope to have you guys back soon. And that is the end for episode six of Stereotypes. Thank you. Bye. Hey, guys. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at teentalks.teen. And hey, don't forget to check out all our other episodes streaming now on Spotify and YouTube.